Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Father Tom Adamson. Tom is a dear friend of mine. We go way back together. We're music collaborators, and he is a ordained minister in the Episcopal Church and a pastor in Northern Indiana at Holy Family in Angola, Indiana. And he's been a longtime supporter of the show behind the scenes, and I've been trying to get him on the show for a long time, and I'm glad that he's on this week. Our text this week is going to be a little bit different. We're looking at a couple texts all at once in honor of All Saints Day. So All Saints falls on a Sunday this year. And so we're going to look at uh, a glance at all the texts. We'll be focusing on Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. But we also uh, look at 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, and Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. So Revelation 7 9 through 17 is our focus text for All Saints Day. Make sure you subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to share this show with others so that they might benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Tom. So this is a special week at Fresh Text because I have a uh, first-time guest, but long-time friend of the show and even longer-time friend of mine, Tom Adamson. Hello. Father Tom Adamson. Tom is a uh, uh, Episcopal priest in northern Indiana, mm-hmm. and so we thought it'd be fitting. I've been begging to get him on the show for a long time, and... Uh, <laughs> This since this However, year, uh, John, I am on the show every week, sort of. <laughs> that's true. Good point. Yes, Tom. If regulars know that the the Tom Adamson who donated the theme music that I thank every week uh, <laughs> is none other than this Tom Adamson. And since All Saints Day falls on a Sunday this year, I thought that'd be a perfect day to have Tom on to maybe help us a little bit to understand this special day. Yeah, in the year. Right. So right. tell us a little bit about before. So we're jumping. We normally start with the reading of the text, obviously, but we're going right, to do something right. a little different. So yeah, All Saints Day. Uh, let's think about the first of all, the the timing of it. You know, I'm from a tradition that has a very year in, year out uh, observances, uh, a liturgical round, if you will, that we structure the whole passage of time, not just the times when we're together. And the timing of All Saints happens at the end of autumn, kind of where the, where all of the leaves are gone, you know, the, the, the glory that, that is the transition from life to death has, has, has happened. Uh, especially if you're in the Northern hemisphere, one of my mentors, Julia Gata would always say that in the Northern hemisphere, autumn into winter is memento mori writ large. And mm. uh, so in this time when we're remembering the passage from life to death and uh, the passing of fall, which was glorious, we sort of remember that the Lord is glorious in his saints mm. and we turn our attention to what happens after death. And, and for Christians, we understand that as the light of the risen Christ shining upon those who have gone through the great ordeal, as it says in revelation, and that light shines through them to us uh, who are still in the ordeal. And on all saints day, it involves a little bit of teasing out some nuancing. Cause I think sometimes if we're sloppy about it, different things get conflated with it. All Saints Day is the day that we acknowledge that there are many, many people in many, many ways that have achieved sanctity or sainthood or holiness uh, in this life. And we are confident that they are around the throne of the Lamb, even though many of them are not, in fact, almost all of them are not individually known by the universal church name by name. The point here is that we acknowledge 
the, the great multitude, as Revelation says, the great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews says, the, the, that, that it's big and it's great and it's massive. And the point is to acknowledge the cumulative effect. Sometimes preachers will make the mistake on All Saints Day of picking kind of like one saint and going with it, but that's not what that's about. In our church, and a lot of churches, you have specific people remembered on specific days, and that's one kind of thing. And it's also not the day of all faithful departed, uh, which is the Anglican term or the Catholic term, all souls, which is more domestic. It's more sad. It's, it's, um, it's not to say that your grandma or your great uncle is not in the great cloud of witnesses, but it's also all, all saints day should be majestic. It should be grand. It should be mm. like being the throne room of God. All souls day or all faithful departed is to acknowledge that we are still sad at the passing of those that we have loved. And it's, it's a time to, to be okay to still grieve for them. So there's, there's a difference. Yeah, what's, what is gained for them is lost for us. And exactly. So there's room for both of those. Yeah, well put. Okay. Well put. And sometimes out of our busy American lifestyle, <laughs> we think, well, we're only going to get together once this week. So we got to f- smash the two together. And um, I, I, I would advise any pastor or preacher to kind of pick one or the other. <laughs> but really, uh, if we're talking about all saints, we're talking about that, that majesty, that glory, the great multitude. Uh, mm. what, is, what is God doing for God's people, plural? And how are we, people here, plural, part of it? And, and so the worship planner will want to make this day eschatological in tone removing that distance between the church triumphant and the church militant and heaven and earth overlapping, you know, seeing our altar space as the gate of, of heaven and where we join our voices with those around the throne, praising God eternally. Uh, so it's a good day if in that light for, for baptisms, uh, professions of faith and welcoming new members. Um, if you want to be intentional about where those types of uh, rites of initiation happen because there is a particular focus on our hope on, on being part of something huge and, and glorious. So that's kind of a little brief excursus into what, what all saints day can be and, and is for, for many people in the Christian church, broadly speaking, if you're part of a tradition that doesn't have saints days, that's that's fine. That's okay. That's, that's that's a valid way of living out the Christian faith. But it, it could also be a time where you think about the particular saints uh, who gave birth to your your community. Let's say you're part of an evangelical tradition. You don't do saints days. You don't have the liturgical calendar. But who has uh, who has died and gone before you, and their lives were exemplary and virtuous and heroic. And this may be a Sunday for you to, to acknowledge their contribution by name and but by grouping them the, together. And how did they all feed into what we are now? And how do we look to hope to join where they are beyond the horizon of, of life? Yeah, well, to make a, a point on that connection before we turn to the texts, mm-hmm. John Wesley, the founder of my movement, and I imagine – the tradition of at least some, if not a lot of our listeners, uh, was himself, of course, an, uh, an Anglican priest, right? but also an evangelical revivalist preacher. And he loved All Saints Day. I don't know if you knew this, Tom. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, that's Huge cool. fan of All Saints Day and would, would, would draw attention to it often. And his journals have long uh, reflections on All Saints Day every year. Mm-hmm. And part of his love of the day was precisely what you were saying. There's, there's the heroes of the faith, the big names, but in many ways, I mean, one way of interpreting uh, John Wesley's whole thing was a kind of democratization of sanctity. Albert Outler, the great Wesley scholar and the kind of father of modern Wesley scholarship had this line where he said that Wesley's approach was a Catholic doctrine of sanctity built on a Protestant doctrine of the church, right? Hmm. So it was this, this notion of, of holiness that all right. are being drawn in holiness, but built towards everyone, uh, the inclusion of everyone in, in this holiness. And so he had a special love for this day as a kind of holding out the hope of sanctification for, for all. Yeah. Um, so it had a, it had a special place in his heart. And so it has in mind once I came to, to a knowledge of that fact. Mm-hmm. So just to sort of 
little point of connection uh, in the history. Yeah, and that really resonates with me. You know, there's a great Anglican hymn, I sing a song of the saints of God. And I don't know if our listen, any listeners would be familiar with it, but it's worth looking up. It's, it's very, very uh, 19th century, if you will. But the, the, the refrain is, you know, all of them were saints of God and I mean to be one too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know? And I love what you said about, you know, the democratization that this belongs, this, this can belong to all of us, you mm-hmm. know. So that's kind of what the, to me, what the day is about when it's observed with great attention and faithfulness. Yeah. Well, uh, one last uh, introductory note before we read the text. Again, for listeners who are used to our routine, you're like, uh, you guys haven't read a passage yet. Um, but <laughs> there, there's, there's a little bit of reasoning for that. And it's because um, Tom is from a tradition and, and pastors in a, in a local church where multiple texts would be read every week. The, the lectionary that we draw our texts from in this show, I mean, we don't really emphasize the lectionariness of it. It's usually just a jumping off point, but we tend to pick a track every year. The first year of the show, we, we did mostly gospel readings. This year, we've been doing Old Testament readings. Um, announcement, this next year, we're going to be doing the epistle track. Uh, just made that decision a few days ago. But uh, but in some churches, all those would be read, although the sermon wouldn't necessarily talk about all of them. The sermon would tend to focus on maybe one, although and but make connections perhaps between them. And Tom and I will talk more about that in the the middle segment. But right. we thought it'd be a fitting week uh, because it's a it's a high holy day that it might be a fun week to actually just read all of the texts and then discuss a little bit of uh, after the break the process of selecting a text and focusing in on one uh, as just a kind of fun, different thing this week. So that's what we wanted to try. And Tom uh, suggested that we do a little, little miniature uh, liturgy of the word here. So mm-hmm. I'm going to open with a, with a collect, a, a prayer. And then did you want to do the revelation? And then I do first John and you do Matthew. Is that, does that work? That'll work great. And after Matthew, I'll pray. Great. And then we'll uh, take a breather and then uh, jump in for the second segment where we dig into the texts themselves. Here we go. Wonderful. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. And now reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Okay. After this, I, John, looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I believe John will read a few verses from the first letter of John in the third chapter. 
Yeah, so John's first letter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, a short but meaty passage. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us, so that we may be called children of God. And we are. Because of this, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we will be. But we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And all those who have this hope in themselves purify themselves just as he himself is pure. And there ends the reading. And now we'll hear a gospel reading by Father Tom. All right. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew beginning with the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Abba Father, we thank you for the gift of this podcast, the calling of uh, Christians together to stand under the authority of your word and under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. We remember the one of the heavenly hosts turned to John and asked, who are these? What do you see? And John said, you are the one who knows. May we have the same humility today to say to you, God, you are the one who will show us what we need. You are the one who will guide us and instruct us. Bless this time, and may it be productive for those to whom you wish to bless. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break, having heard these wonderful passages, and then come back and uh, dig into them. Great. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Tom Adamson. And Hello. We are looking at uh, the texts for All Saints Day, Revelation 7, 1 John 3, and Matthew 5. Now, Tom, uh, before we jump in, because this would be a lot to, to study. Right. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, share a little bit with us either your process this week or, mm-hmm. or just in general. How, how do you go about sort of when you have multiple texts, how do you go about selecting what to focus on, even if you're going to make connections elsewhere for for preaching in particular? For me personally, I'm always preparing, you know, week in and week out. I kind of take a break from preaching thought, if you will, for about two days or so. But by the time we get to Wednesday or so, I'm going to look at these three readings and try to find what might 
be helpful for the people to hear, and I'm paying attention to what the Spirit might be saying. I'm generally going to land on one part of one reading, but when I preach, I will also draw things that that add support to the overall metaphor or the overall function of the sermon from the other two readings. And that's not a hard and fast rule. I think when people are listening, they they want to have sort of a singular focus, mm-hmm. or either that or a very logical sequence of ideas that kind of lead to one thing. So in this passage, in these three passages, where I was led this week was to find a common thread. And I'm going to use that common thread as a theme. And then I'm going to mention where it happens in the other two readings, but I'm really going to just live in one of the three readings. And most Sundays, that's how, that's how I make sense of the three readings is that I really kind of live in one, but I'm never, I don't ignore the other two. And I think that's the whole purpose of, of, of having the three is that there can be balance the, the best way for scripture to, to, to preach with to, the best way for scripture to speak to us with, with strength is when it, uh, when it talks to itself <laughs> as <laughs> much as it yeah, talks to us. Scripture interprets scripture, right? Yeah. So which one did you uh, select this week? I really felt called to uh, Revelation 7. Oh, great. I have noticed two different things to begin with from it. And I, and I found some resonance in the other two, other two passages. Let's first, talk about those things. You said it was two things that kind yeah, of stood out at you. Yeah, yeah. Two things that kind of stood out to me. And the first was a, a relationship or a weaving. I really love weaving. I've been thinking a lot about warp and woof. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, anyway, a weaving between purity and vision. Uh, seeing uh, things, seeing things correctly because we are pure, you know, or uh, or equally, that's sort of the cross thread is is needing to purify ourselves in order to see correctly. Yeah, from from the beatitudes, the pure in the heart shall see God. Um, and then th- there's that question that I kind of prayed about where. John is asked, who are these? Um, yeah. Maybe he's a little unsure of how to, how to say what he's seeing. Um, and then there is, uh, in First in, in John, you know, what we will be has not been revealed, but for this reason, we purify ourselves. So what, what I would do here is uh, just, just make note that there is, um, in each of the readings, there is a little bit about purity and and the function of purity and how it relates to what we see and understand and perceive. Um, and then I might ask the question, okay, well, what are we supposed to see then? Obviously, we're supposed to see, see God, but uh, the reason that I want to lean into Revelation is it gives us a very dynamic and clear and sort of a high-resolution picture Ah, of what we can see you know the pure in the heart shall see god okay god is this massive abstract concept you know give (laughs) give me some textures give me some shapes give me some detail give me some before the throne of god right surrounded by the elders and the Uh living creatures and sure and the great host so so that kind of leads me to the second observation is uh the grandeur of the vision the grandeur of the hope, the majesty of, of what John sees. And this sort of ties to the theme of All Saints Day. So I looked and I saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. The church doesn't always maintain a, a sense of being part of something grand and, and majestic. Mm. The church it, it gets caught up in comparing itself to the multitude of the world. Uh, uh, all of, uh, you know, and, uh, sometimes we think, you know, we're, we're, we're small or we're, we're persecuted. We're covert. We're just trying to sneak by, you know, we're losing an uphill battle. And I guess some of this has to do with, um, the function of the, like a good function of apocalyptic literature, like revelation. Um, yeah, Cause that's likely the scenario that the, the author and yeah. his audience would be in is, is people who are 
scared and feel small in the face of Roman imperial strength and pagan culture. Right. And to remind them, you know, that you're actually part of something much larger that you just can't see. Yeah, Um, exactly. And that's, and, and it's that, um, there is a lot to see. You can't just see it, but let me show it to you. And um, I think some of the the thrust of the reading today says, if you're going to see it, you have to take this call to holiness seriously. Mm. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to chase after it. You know, you're going to have to chase hard after this purity. Yeah, that's a really, that's clever because that's a good insight because, of course, there's a reference um, to them being clothed in white, right? In gleaming white. And that's said in verse nine. And then again, in verse 13, that's how they're identified. You have this, who are these clothed in white, which has the kind of imagery of, of purity. Right. Mm -hmm. And even later when it's referenced that they, uh, their, their robes have been washed in the blood of the lamb, which made them white. So it's kind of interesting, right? Because actually a white robe dipped in blood would be stained and not white. So (laughs) so there's, there's a fun metaphor, a weaving as it were. Of, you know, mm-hmm. the red of blood and the, the white of purity. And so back to the seeing, I, I loved that little moment. I mean, just the whole, I mean, I just love camping on that little image. I never noticed. I noticed the question before because mm-hmm. the angel likes to ask him questions. Yeah, all throughout the but, whole book. All right. But it's specifically, it's one of the elders ask. Sure. Which happens a couple times. Um, ah, yeah. It's very clever, right? It's one of the elders, these 24 elders who are not named, um, and said to me, you know, who are these dressed in white? And and I can't help but think of this phrase when he says, you know, you know, Lord, me, you're asking? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let, me, let me look at it real quick. Uh, my Lord, uh, you know, and – like you mentioned in your prayer, the humility of that and the, uh-huh. that links to the fact of he's seeing and yet not seeing fully. Right. Because he's on the other side the, of he's in the, he's still in the church militant and he's mm-hmm. seeing the church triumphant, but it's a glimpse. So he's, so there's an impurity and incapacity. There's also humility there, but I couldn't help but also think of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ooh, ooh, right? right. So where the Lord says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Yeah. And, and, and Ezekiel gives the, the, the correct answer. <laughs> Lord, you know, cause Lord, you know, you like know. the correct old Testament answer is no. Like, I mean, you uh-huh. just die and you're, yeah. Sh- no one in Sheol can praise you, you know, is the, but he knows better than to say no, but he doesn't know how to say yes. So he just says, Lord, you know, it's like a great way to respond when the Lord asks you a question. Sure. And then it makes me, now this is just ridiculous, but it's a playful thought playing with the text. Uh-huh. Maybe this is, I, I'm almost picturing this as Ezekiel. <laughs> Is the elder because it doesn't say who it is, right? Oh, sure. Oh, <laughs> Ezekiel's that's fun. like playing a little joke <laughs> on him, you know. <laughs> that is fun. <laughs> who are these? And then he's, and then you know, yeah. I and like then John says, "Lord, you know." <laughs> yeah, because it's Sir or Lord. It doesn't mean sure, uh, sure, God, so. God, Lord. Uh, you know, not, not yeah. uh, uh, Adonai. I love that. That's a fun thing to play with because when I read it, I think of the elders as as people who were uh, who lived an earthly life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of different characters here in the throne room and some of them are eternal. They've, they've always been there and it's almost like living creatures, angels, but yeah, uh-huh. the 24 elders would be those who have gone before. Right. There's debate about whether these are, I mean, are these, you know, are these the patriarchs or these prophets uh-huh. is, uh, it's, it's, it's not laid out exactly. Although the number 24 uh-huh. has a sort of seems to to gesture at the 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 tribes i want to i want to uh i want to play with a a provocative question now that we're we're landing on this this uh interview here um is it possible uh that the i'll just ask it (laughs) is it the is it possible the elder doesn't know Uh, (laughs) it's it's left open 
I mean, um, we'd have to look at the others. So I, I mean, there are different ideas about what happens, you know, the, the, the destiny of the human soul or life. Yeah. Uh, do we kind of pass through a gate and then we're just sort of like shelf stable factory made, you know, pickled, like, you know, everything, you know, it all at once. Or is this idea that, you know, in, in that, that we're being, developed <laughs> that it that it's almost like kind of like a polaroid picture if you will and maybe if it was ezekiel uh he didn't know all of what yet god would do and so there's these ones that he can see are or different or new or a surprise to him and so maybe he's like yeah i mean clearly in the book of revelation i mean there's a kind of unfolding the events take place in the heavens sure it's not just like finished product Mm-hmm. Um, and at least, at least in terms of loosening up our reading of the text, it, it, it helps to move away from assuming that one of the elders came forward and like gave me a little test. And right. then I say, you know, and he says, then he said to me, well, these are the ones coming from the, it could be, who are uh-huh. these people? And, right. and you're like, and you lean over to the elder and you're like, I don't know, you, 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 you would be more likely to know than me. You're sure. Sure. You're, 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 you live here now. I'm just a guest. And, and he can say back and you almost can see him looking and saying, uh-huh. these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, right? Almost mm-hmm. he's seeing it happening as, as it, it's happening. Yeah. I realized and, there's and real more- drawing that conclusion. That's a possible reading of the text. And I yeah. don't think we should rule it out. Well, there's more evidence to say that that he already knows, I think, but um, I don't know. I know sometimes it's fun just to ask those 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 big provocative what if questions. Um, well, it lets us at least not assume that there's only one tone that this is read in. Sure, know, as if behold, here it comes right. Especially with Revelation, uh-huh. its tendency to be that it's all just a sort of little play acting. But but uh, the elders could be welcoming. Uh huh. The these because I mean I, I take that opening line, this reference to the great tribulation. I think in John's context would be referring to the the persecution that they are facing right then mm-hmm. at that time. So he, may, John himself, may as as the elder says this, start to recognize some faces from those seven churches that were sure. right. And yeah. so this isn't necessarily like just God saying. Hey, let, let, let's trot out the persecuted. It could be this is their this is their moment of being welcomed in, mm. and so the elders are are you know themselves kind of welcoming them for the first time. That sure. this could be seen as a as an event for them, not just an event for John, as it were. Yeah, um, and I think that makes it more significant. It's not just. These are just things that are true everywhere and always. This was a, a this, this is a moment in time yeah. of a lot of pain and suffering, which is why this glory and triumph is so such a powerful vision. Yes, and it's the yeah. same um, context as First John. Really, um, I don't know absolutely what your Johannine uh, theories are, but you know, for for a large chunk of the Christian tradition, as it were, you know, the guy who wrote the Johannian epistles is the same guy who wrote John the revelator, but you know, I, I don't, I've never asked you what you personally, John think about that, but. Well, at uh, the very least there's, there's some overlapping Western Asia minor context yeah. that can be discerned in second, third John, at least. Yeah. Um, and, and I think paying yeah. attention to that, 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 that context, that historical situation is probably more helpful for, for the preacher to remember then, well, which John are we talking about here? Are there four Johns? Are there two Johns? Are there three Johns? Yes. Overlapping audience is more important than author, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. not like our job is as, as students of the word and prayers of the word and preachers and teachers of the word is not primarily to unlock the mind of the author. I think that's a habit that we get into as modern interpreters often, I think is a mistake. I think entering into the, embodied life of the audience is our primary task. Sure. What, what would it like to be a hearer of this word and how yeah. does that relate to what it means to hear the word now? I think that's the, the stance in which to take. Sure. And that kind of relativizes the problems of authorship because when you think the parallel in the Pauline epistles, these are clearly, you know, uh-huh. these pastoral epistles, even if they were 
you know, if there's some issues of authorship there, it's clearly like the churches of Paul are the ones reading and hearing these texts. And right. So then, so you're, there's an overlap there or, uh, or with the Johannine literature, I think that's the same. There's clearly a, a common yeah. or at least overlapping culture and situation. Sure. So I, I think you're, I think you're spot on to say the, the audience connections, the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, if any of my congregation is listening, they'll get tired of hearing me say something like this, but I will often say, you know, this is the same world that, that Jesus came to. This is, and I would say this, we live in the same world mm-hmm. that John the Revelator lived in. You know? mm-hmm. um, so we are part of the audience. And I think we live in a time of uh, not hot persecution, if you will, but sort of like cold persecution, sort of the, sort of the great sort of secular indifference yeah. uh, that, that is around us, that erodes our, our natural ability to kind of have lively faith. And that's a kind of uh, sort of a slow drip persecution on the church. And I think that it's a type of ordeal uh, that is no less uh, dangerous that, that has to be endured. So, mm-hmm. you know, just because we're not being thrown to the lions doesn't mean that we need to give up on this call to purify ourselves. And the, and the author of both or the same author uses the same phrase for this reason, for this reason. And I see that both in, in the John reasons, you know, what is the reason? The reason is this being welcomed into the throne room of the lamb and being transformed and made pure and new. And because that's going to happen, we can face what we're going to face. And, and similarly, just because we have similar dangers in this life, but the hope also hasn't changed. And I would hold out this hope to, to my people when I, when I preach about it, are you going to respond in the same way that they did? Yeah. Sorry to backtrack, but that's a nice, that's a really interesting pattern. This because of this or for Mm -hmm. this reason, in the first John passage, I'm trying to remember where it came in. I'll just turn there real quick. I think it's the um, last verse. Yeah. So of, of, the, of the selection. Yeah. Well, maybe I didn't quite get it right. There's definitely that phrase. No, it's the second second half of the first verse. Sure. So behold, what great love the Father has given to us that we might be called children of God. And we are, present tense, Mm -hmm. because of this, the world does not know us. So that fits because it's the world who's, who's persecuting the, those who've gone, come out of the the great tribulation because it did not know him. And then this similar, because of this, I think is really powerful here in verse 15 of Revelation chapter seven, verse 15, because of this, namely that they came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes in the blood of the lamb, made them white. This is why they are standing in front of, or in the presence of, or before the face of the throne of God and are serving him, but that's like, or worshiping him. I'm not sure which translation you had in front of you. It's the word, it's the root word for liturgical, actually. Yeah. Latrusen. And they are uh, liturgos him uh, day and night in his temple, in the temple of him, which is interesting because we get to the end of John, there's no temple, but at this point there's still a temple of some kind in heaven. Uh And the one who sits upon the throne will tabernacle among them. It's it's the same word in first in John one 14, the word was made flesh and dwelled among them. Yeah. So, and the one who's sitting upon the throne is, is dwelling among them. And neither hunger nor thirst and, and protected this, this kind of this presence with God, um, because they were faithful in suffering, they are now welcomed into this role of, of perpetual worship mm-hmm. um, and of perpetual presence of God. And which just maps right on to what first John three was saying, right? We now we're children, but what we will be, we do not yet see, 
but we know when we see him, we will be like him because we'll see him as he truly is. Right. Yeah. Therefore we purify him ourselves because we have this hope. Right. So we purify mm-hmm. ourselves now, but the full purification comes by him, by the vision of God yeah. that comes at the end. Yeah. Which then makes the persecution language in Matthew five, all the more connected to the, yes. to the earlier line of the, the, those who, um, blessed are the, who is it? Who will see God? The pure in heart. There it is. Pure, pure in heart. goes with seeing. Yeah. Man, that really is a theme that weaves through these. But then the persecution kind of goes with that because what, part of what it means to be pure in heart is to not uh-huh. to not uh, prostitute oneself when one, sure. is, <laughs> when one is threatened by the idolatries of this world. And, and I think uh, to, to circle back to the, the function of All Saints Day is to give the church a chance to give voice to the fact that it is possible to be faithful and it, it may behoove the, the preacher to bring to mind uh, examples of victorious and virtuous uh, examples of people who, who did it, you know, that, that we're very sure of. Um, yeah, sanctity is not out of reach. It's not just for, you know, super Christians. Exactly. <laughs> it's for us all. Because, of course, we don't know the names of these elders. We don't know the names of these who have died. Right. These aren't. Yeah. So it's perfect fit with that theme. Yeah. That's really good. Well, it's been great. I love geeking out on the scriptures with you, man. Let's take a quick break oh, and come you. back and explore thank some you. sermon starters. Yeah. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Tom Adamson, Father Tom Adamson. Hello. And we're looking at Revelation. Chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, along with some cross-reference over to 1 John and Matthew 5 for All Saints Day. So let's explore some uh, some sermon starters uh, mm. preaching on this text or advice you might have for others. Uh, where, where are yeah. you going to go? What's, the, what's, what's, a, what's a theme? What's a focus? You already mentioned some things, but uh, I, where's the direction? I, I want to help people normalize taking up the call to, to purifying themselves that we hear both in Matthew and first John and that we see some of the glimpses of the end result and in, in revelation. I think that's a pretty, to me, a, uh, a pretty clear call from, from the spirit, at least for this year, you know, it's good to talk about how our stories are caught up in, in the great story, uh, salvation history, uh, the record of scripture and to not um, not create some sort of uh, false historical distance or even just the impression that what happens in the Bible is, is a different kind of reality from the reality in which we live. Um, and today is a day, All Saints Day is a day where we can really lean into that and really just remind and teach and exhort and encourage people that this is your story too. You know, you can be part of this. Um, we walk the same earth as, as John and, 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 and Christ. And so that's maybe where I'd begin thematically. And it also opens itself up again, as I said in the first segment to, to share stories of people who have gone on before us and, and to share their heroic virtue and, and their witness and talk about how they've shaped our community of faith or our, our locality, you know, the first verse in the revelation section says there's a a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. And um, what multitude of, of gifts and people and influences brought our church or our gathering to where we are today. I know I'm getting a little broad here, but maybe one of these could be something we can run with. You know, what's the Genesis story of our local church? Who, to whom do we owe a, a debt of gratitude? Yeah, no, I, th- yeah. I think that could be powerful, especially because, you know, the opening line in is, is after this, I saw. And what's mm-hmm. it after? Oh, well, a, a list of 12,000 yeah. uh, marked with the seal of God, each from the 12 tribes, which then is set in contrast with after this, then there's this vast crowd. Yeah, can't think of can't help but think of Paul saying 
to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Right. Too great to count from every nation and tribe, from every ethne, right? So these are from, and every language. So these are all those who've been engrafted into Israel. And so there's, it's directly suggesting for perhaps, you know, these mixed congregations that Mm -hmm. John the Revelator would have been serving that would have had all kinds of Gentile folk whose temptation to return to paganism would be quite strong under under, uh, persecution. What you picture, Tom, there as the kind of aim of your sermon, which is to uh, come to a greater awareness of how we're part of something larger, Mm -hmm. both locally and globally and, and eternally. Right. That, that that's actually kind of exactly what the author's kind of doing here for his audience. You catch what I'm saying, right? Yeah. He's trying to say, yeah, okay, this is just this private God of this, this, this weird little, you know, Palestinian religion. Right. Uh, But you're actually a part of this, but he actually is the God of the universe who made all things. Sure. And so you're actually a part of something much larger than you can see. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, John, not me, John, the, the John of the writer, <laughs> right, right. I, the, 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 the revelator is, uh, I've caught a glimpse of this and I want to hand that, that vision on to you right. to encourage you, uh, to, to go on from faith to faith and to, to be, to be firm in your faith in the midst of trial. Sure. And I think that's, that's really powerful, man. I could imagine, like you said, telling some stories, you could even think about, I mean, you could even think about some, some vignettes, right? Like maybe right. you tell, you speak of, uh, you know, who, who's in this host, you know, and you maybe tell a story of a, of a great saint from the past that we mm-hmm. look back to and yeah. then maybe a, a sort of local saint, yeah. right? And then perhaps, uh, and then you turn and tell maybe a story of someone's growth in holiness in the yeah. church right now. Exactly. Right? So you kind of locate it as part yeah. of a story. And that third one, you could tell the story. I'm just thinking preaching tricks. Sure, now. sure. Uh, tricks, wrong word. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies to the professionals. Uh, but, you know, you could tell the story of, I don't know, Augustine or St. Francis or whatever, uh-huh. but not say the name until the end. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I like that. And then you could tell the story of some, uh, a sort of historic important member of our local church or denomination or whatever. And mm-hmm. again, save the name for the end where you get to the end and you say, mm-hmm. And in fact, that is the name of, and that's the, especially if there's something named after them on the grounds. And that's the, Uh and that L of Larry is, you know, and, and Larry, who we just heard about is the L of the, you know, L and J, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Narthex Uh or whatever. Right. I mean, you can, and then you could tell a third one and then reveal the name and it's, you know, a, a, a junior high kid and, the church who, yeah. you know, I don't know, maybe that's too cute, but I mean, yeah, no, I think some kind a, of connection. I see two things in that. One is that it, that's a type of apocalypse of, in and of itself because it's, it's a revealing, it's an ah, unveiling yeah. of, of what's at work. It, but, it's, but a couple things, it's important that the, the witnesses that, that you pick show Christ's victory, you know, um, mm. that, that you're not... Um, You've got to be careful. I think with the with the with someone like Francis or Augustine or something. I mean, that's that's pretty universally accepted. But when you start getting to the more domestic ones, you just want to be careful not to just pick sort of do gooders or busy <laughs> or yeah. just busy people or deep pockets. But <laughs> yeah, that, you're right. But but yeah, be, uh, but that their their witness is. Uh, that it that it looks and smells and sounds like like Jesus, not that. just do gooders. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And so it matters. Well, I think that's think. important though because purity here is not primarily purity uh-huh. in more. It's not primarily moral purity. It's also that. Yeah, but I mean, this is a time of of the revelator would see it as this is a time of. This sure. is idolatry. That's the problem. Right, right. Right. And and you think of back to the Old Testament prophets, like that was the the heart of the matter was mm-hmm. an, an infidelity yeah. by the serving of other gods. Right. So this can't sure. just be 
being a do-gooder. In fact, <laughs> from the point of view of society at the time, these were not do-gooders. Yeah, right. Exactly. They were troublemakers. And so that, 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 that helps me get excited about something that I wanted to also clarify is that, um, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about apocalyptic literature or even apocalyptic preaching when it's, when it's done right is that it goes against expectations, but there's always a helpful aha. It's like, Oh, I never saw yeah. it like that before. You know, so so sometimes it, it maybe even helped to pick somebody that no one would have even thought of. Yeah, and so the preacher really can't. Uh, you can't do this unless you really know your people and you really know your story, and you're you know you exegete your congregation, if you will. You know, and uh, yeah, you can't do this if if you don't know them that well. You can't do it if if you if you're kind of a remote person. Uh, you've really got to live it and eat it and breathe it to kind of be in it with the people to, to, to discover those deep, those deep stories, you know? And, uh, I think another move you might do is, uh, do some self-examination too. I mean, uh, I, I love being a little bit of a provocateur. Um, why aren't we chasing after sanctity? What are some of the things in our day and age that, uh, mm. oppress us or distract us? Whether it's, you know, <laughs> it's a, an easy, an easy target, you know, would be secular culture, but that's also sort of a cheat move too, because, you know, it's, it's, God is still speaking and working through all thing all kinds of things, but, you know, roll out some of the, an- the, the, uh, the anti examples, you know, whether it's like just a brief nod to the, the capital seven capital sins or kind of, um, things that, that we are, are sort of, are blind spots and that can be different for different groups of people in different settings. You know, what's the pagan temptation in our day and age? I don't know. Uh, that might be a move that you could talk about too. a call to also to re- repentance. So, no, I mean, that's exactly. And, and, a, and a call to repentance by way of hope rather than threat. That's what I love you. about first John three. Yeah. It says, all those who have this hope right. purify themselves. It doesn't say if you purify yourself, then you get mm-hmm. to have this hope. That's a yes. very important difference. It's a huge difference. It even Th- says we are children of God right now, present tense, yeah. but we don't yet know what we yeah. will be like that. We're going what, because we're children. That means we're going to grow up. Right. And so we don't exactly know what mm-hmm. that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a path of purification, but it's one that's rooted in hope confidence yeah. that I'm already a child of God. Yeah. But I want to That's live what... into that identity rather than take it for granted mm-hmm. or think I have to earn it. So neither take it for granted nor try to uh-huh. to achieve it as a distant goal. And what might be great is also then to uh to revisit some of the examples of of people you may have told vignettes about and saying this is a sacrifice that they had to make or this is a change that had to occur in them. Mm-hmm. But but yes, it has to be hopeful. It has to be a challenge to consider what's possible in, in a positive sort of growth direction. Yeah, you know, you and uh, some some of the language you might use is, uh, you know, do you see yourself, you know, in this great multitude? If there is sort of an, mm. uh, um, oh gosh, if there's an an anachronous or an or eternal kind of timekeeping here is uh, I know we talked a little bit, a little, little bit at the beginning about the timing of this, uh, but you could also interpret that as this is the end of all things, not just the, oh, yeah. the, the incorporation of the, of the seven persecuted churches. I think it invites both readings. Yeah. yeah. Are you, are you in that great multitude? I bet you are, you know, every nation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all tribes, all peoples, you know, I'm sure John had no concept of, you know, the state of Indiana <laughs> or the yeah. people or the people of the Wesleyan church. Oh, yeah, because it's, you know? it's far too vast to, yeah. to be, you know, it's, it's clearly performing a function for that time and that place. Yes. But if God really pulled back the curtain yeah. for John the Revelator to see, to see something – uh-huh. He was peering into something that has a different relationship to time. 
yeah, such that he would have been catching glimpses also. Now, that's for some of our listeners, it's like, well, duh, isn't Revelation about the end times? Well, actually, most of the book isn't. <laughs> most of the book's talking about stuff right then and there. Yes. But as talking about then and there, it's always sending up little uh-huh. flares. And, you know, when a flare goes off, it you can see the whole scene for like just a moment. Mm-hmm. But then as it dissipates, you mostly can just see what's close. Most of what's seen is is nearby yeah. to the first century experience. Sure. But there's these little glimpses wow. and even just the language of the vast that no one could count after the 144,000, yeah. implying a much larger crowd than that. Yeah. Um, well, guess what? Christianity wasn't that big yet. Uh, <laughs> like it, it just wasn't like just statistically no. by the end of the first century and when what this would have been written. Exactly. So clearly there's a word of something still to come here built in. I think the idea of, and I'm wondering if that could be a, sort of a hook or a, a mantra that would be in the sermon is the phrase, what do you see? Right. Yeah. Asking that question. Uh. And then to end with that, you know, what do you see? Uh-huh. You know, you, that's what we see. I see you and you and you, you know, like, uh-huh. I mean, again, that could be cute, or it could be really powerful, depending on how you've woven <laughs> the sure. sermon up to that point. Sure, um, sure. I'm just really um, in awe of, of of the power of the text. When your phrase "Christianity was really small at the time," and to me, this is sort of evidence for the inspiration of Scripture that that the Spirit is saying this is going to be a great multitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, in God's time. I love your image of the flare. And I think uh, that's apocalyptic literature. In a, a faithful preacher <laughs> here will remember their task also as, as, as teacher, because apocalyptic literature is so misunderstood and dare I say misused pretty, pretty broadly, not just by the church, but also by popular culture. You know, we've redefined in our vernacular the meaning of the word apocalypse. And uh, so I think um, I think a good preacher would help the church to remember how it's used and what it's, and what it's for. Uh, and that flare is a really great analogy. I think another great um, one might be uh, sort of a, a peek through a curtain. If you're in a, like a play or a musical or something, and you sneak out and like, how's the house tonight? And you, you peek through the curtain and you can kind of see the people who are right, right up close. And then you see other people and you don't see them as well. Another th- way you can talk about apocalyptic literature is to, um, it's interesting when uh, the Bible, the, the modern, modern English translations use the word heaven a lot or heavens a lot, you know, in ancient Hebrew, that would have been sky or a high place. You know, so, yeah. so so the prophet or 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 the the one getting the vision is brought up to a high place, and then from a high place, you can see a lot, and and the, and the perspective changes. Of course, you know when you're on top of a mountain, you can see the bushes and shrubs and climbing party with you very very well, and uh, there are and, things. And that, furthermore, you can see mountains in the distance might in fact be. They could be shorter mountains that are close, right? Taller mountains that are further away, and you right. can't always know that for sure, except with a lot of perception. And yep, and then you, as you know that more as you journey closer mm-hmm. to them. So I might have gone on a little long there about that, and I'm sure it could be. I dug it down, but it's, it's keep it in. I love it. I love hearing you talk, Tom. <laughs> sure, thanks. <laughs> I think what the church needs in this sort of like heavily indifferent and secular age is. It's a fair amount of teaching mixed in with the preaching because when teaching is done right, teaching is exciting and and, and arousing and and, uh, inspiring. Don't think of teaching as a a dry, the boring boring part of the sermon. No, no, no. Use teaching in a way that is thrilling. Well, it can often that what brings the thrill is actually how it can be woven in homiletically is when there's a particular question that's bugging you of Mm -hmm. interpretation. That you just you name that, and that you take them on a little bit of the journey of discovery sure. that you had with the text, where you were like, "Yeah, who are these people? Was this, you know, people who died then? Is this the mm-hmm. is this at the end of time? Is this always going on? Is this one specific event that's being predicted?" And you know, 
if the way that gets resolved is that it's not entirely resolved, but you kind of discover that, oh, it's a text with layers like the flare or the, or the mountain scene, mm-hmm. that, that's a very – and that can be an aside in a sermon or that can be the whole structure of a sermon can be a little journey of discovery. Sure. I heard a sermon a year, a couple years back and someone – it was the story of the – when Isaac was named, you know, he laughs – Right. Um, and it was like the whole sermon was just kind of built around who is it who laughs, you know? And like, and the twist was that maybe it's God who's laughing because right? <laughs> you start, you start out thinking it's about Sarah who laughed. Right. Right. Um, um oh, wow. Now I want to go and look like, it up. And yeah. And it's just the kind of, but instead of like, on the one hand, I tend to say, Hey, you got to leave some of your exegesis back in the table. Don't, don't, right. don't take people, you know, it's, you don't have to have a bunch of charts and graphs out and this isn't right, national right. geographic. I'm with you there. Uh, but then there's the opposite extreme that you want to avoid, which is where you only ever present the finished product and never let sure. anyone into the process of discovery. Sure. And that can be kind of alienating. Then you're the Bible answer man rather right. than a co-journeyer. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a kind of middle – there's a middle uh, oh, there always compromise is. there that I think would be worth considering. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. I got I got one more little story I want to tell, or Please. Just, or just suggestion, I guess, to our audience to check out. So, if you're going to do All Saints Day, if you're going to reference All Saints, or even not, just this is a a, a moment uh, when you, if you're going to talk about holiness at all, there's this moment in Thomas Merton's Seven Story Mountain. So I can't remember the page, but if you flipped around, you could probably find this, or just steal the story from my. A uh, bad version of it that I'm going to try to tell where Merton's like starting to let go of his kind of pagan life and become a Christian. And I can't remember if it's before or after he's bat- he gets baptized, but he is talking with a friend who I think is a secular Jew and his friend at some, they're living in New York city at the time. And, he, and his friend says to him, well, are you planning on becoming a saint? And Thomas says, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, that's not something in my, or whatever, kind of does the him and haw, you know, mm-hmm. humility thing. And his friend says to him, well, there's no use in becoming a Christian if you're not going to become a saint. You should plan on becoming a saint. That should be your, <laughs> your intention, right? And yeah, and, he's, and it was a really crucial moment in his development, again, sure. not from a, you know, not from another saint but from a non-believer, in fact, wow. who just was like, if you're going to do this, why don't you like do it for real, right? <laughs> wow. And it really set him on a trajectory that led to his his journey into religious life. So I don't know. That's a great little story about sanctities for all of us. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian, sure. you're pursuing holiness, at least implicitly. You, this is what you signed up for. Yes. You didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah. Might as well go for it. Go big or go home, right? (laughs) Exactly. That reminds me of a childhood memory of mine. And I think the two stories could be linked in a sermon. When I was a a kid, I was part of a a Roman Catholic uh, Cub Scout troop. And there was a little bit of religious education built into it. But every year, instead of a Halloween party, we'd have an All Saints Day party. And we would come dressed in costumes of the great saints of the church or, or the Bible. And huh. um, so you'd see kids, some kids got pretty elaborate with it. Like, um, I can't remember the name of the, is it St. Sebastian? The one who got, it's, it's a famous picture. He's tied to a tree and they got a bunch of arrows yeah. sticking out of him. Yes. Sebastian. So this one kid yeah. had a, like a, like a, like a bathrobe, but like these like arrows taped. To it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I went as uh, Gideon from the old Testament. I was really captivated when I was uh, a little kid by the story of Gideon, like overcoming great odds. And uh, I had a little shield and a broken pot, but children often play act and uh, believe in their daydreams that they're going to be great in the thing that they're interested in. Like yeah. the kid will go out in the backyard and like, you know, cherry bomb a baseball and pretend he's hitting the, the winning home run of the world series or something, you know, where, where along the way did we lose our aspiration to mm. become great? Not um, the wrong kind of great, but like you said, the man asked Thomas Merton, why not be a saint? <laughs> What's the point? 
let's let's rediscover that that childlike trust and belief that we are destined for for glory and and yeah. for and for that reason chase after it pursue it with all we have and uh go for it that's yeah, moving man that's a good word let's end there huh yeah i think so well thanks so much tom for the time you've given thanks to uh Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating that theme music. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) And thanks most of all to all your, to all you guys listening in. Uh, We appreciate the time you give to, to the word and to the show and to each other. And yeah, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Go in peace.